Welcome onto the show. Um, and today we've got Vineet joining us, who is a head of product at Solaris Bank. Thanks for coming on to the show, Vineet. Maybe you can give a quick introduction of yourself. Uh, yeah, thanks, Jaggi. Thanks, Daniel, for having me. Um, yeah, I've been, where do I start? Uh, I joined Solaris four years ago uh, as, a, as a product owner for cards. Um, and because I didn't have any experience with cards before, and uh, that was interesting for me since I, I do like to learn new things uh, here and there. Um, but after nine months, I, I felt that my expertise is a little bit more broad uh, coming from banking background. So I wanted to do a bit more on, on a high level things. So then I, I uh, together with one of my colleagues, we started a team called Product Architecture. So where we were basically connecting the dots between different products and how to connect individual modules and build uh, somewhat more complex embedded finance products. Some examples would be around decable cards that we launched for Samsung, Samsung Pay, uh, or uh, helping Vivid Money come come to fruition uh, in German market. So I was a product lead for that. Uh, and then since the beginning of this year, I'm responsible for building credit cards in the company, uh, as well as um, leading the new initiative, which is at the moment on hold, uh, called Platform as a Service. Um, and yeah, uh, before that, I was working with Fedor, uh, also as a as a deep product owner. Uh, they are working on a wealth management banking project. Um, uh, and prior to that, um, yeah, a bit of consulting, a bit of studying, a lot of partying, and so on. <laughs> Always. So, yeah, um, it seems that you have a very um, long career as a product manager and also um, within Solidus Bank, like four years that you're working there, you pass through all these uh, roles. So product owner, senior product architect, and now you're head of product all through the time in which Solidus was also growing size uh, and, and um, mm -hmm. reach. So how has your day-to-day -day tasks and responsibility, how has your role changed as a product manager as you progress through these roles? Um... Quite a lot in a way. Uh, so as a product owner, it's more hands-on, more day-to-day -day responsibility, sitting with the team, uh, working with the team, answering questions, bringing out with stakeholders what needs to be done, going into details and so on. Uh, so that was uh, the role of the product owner, um, which is very much in line with what company expects as well. Uh, as a product architect or senior product architect, um, my role was more about as an, as an advisor or as a consultant, in-house consultant in a way. Uh, of course, I, there were some things or some pieces that uh, I took responsibility and ownership of uh, because there weren't enough resources in the company who could do those things. Uh, so essentially, basically stepping in wherever um, required, uh, building products from scratch um, for certain things as well. Like, for example, we launched prepaid cards. Uh, I was uh, in charge of that. Uh, decable cards for businesses at some point. Um, we also launched that for a partner uh, and now credit cards. So it's uh, essentially the cards have always been a, a bit of a, um, let's say, revenue generator for Solaris Bank, but also where um, the resource crunch has always been in the case, um, sort of. So I've, I've managed to step in there, uh, but also in other um, company-wide topics, um, I've been involved. Um, so it, the responsibilities have shifted uh, from going from product owner to product architect, and now as a head of product as well, because now it's more about looking at the vision, building the team, uh, how to basically enable others to get better at the job, coaching them, mentoring them, uh, basically doing things the right way. That's that's more the focus now. Got it. And then, like, 
I mean, that's what's what's quite interesting for me. Also, is you've been a product manager. Um, like I kind of I remember what was it now? Maybe six years ago, sort of getting six seven years ago, getting into like the digital field and being kind of exposed to this role called product manager or mm -hmm. product management, and I was so confused. And I, I kept thinking that was like basically a project manager. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, what's like, what's the difference? And trying to understand, and then um, at the same time being exposed to like you know agile and all these like buzzwords that PMs throw throw at you. And and now I'm a PM myself. <laughs> and mm -hmm. one thing that I personally find it's it's quite hard to sometimes really know exactly what the responsibilities. Of, actually, no, it's really easy to understand what the responsibility of a PM is. Like you manage the product. Mm -hmm. your, your goal is to make sure that the product succeeds. But what I find challenging is knowing where your responsibilities stop. Because like, you know, if you look at modern businesses, the product very often is the, the business. Mm -hmm. So and then you've, you've got like a CEO role and you've got all these other roles who are kind of technically responsible for things. And I guess I'm guessing like the CEO used to be the product manager before the product management role was created. So I just, I'm just really interested in getting your take on, you know, what really, where do you think the, the lies, the lines are drawn for PM's mm -hmm. role and how has it evolved in your experience from when mm -hmm. you started out and until like now, because you're probably working with you're probably bringing in and working with like younger PMs as mm -hmm. well and people from different companies who I'm pretty sure have like a different style to product yeah. management as well. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually talking during lunch break with a, with a colleague. He was asking me like, what would you like to do, let's say down the line? And I was like, maybe I would like to teach and then teach what exactly teach, I don't know, basics, you know, like just fundamentals and also pro fundamentals of product management. And I think that's what uh, a lot of people um, maybe don't really understand. That once you understand the fundamentals, then you can actually build products in a very coherent and very easy way, or you understand the practices a little bit better. To answer your question about like where do the boundaries lie of where do you start and where do you finish, that actually depends on the situation and depends on the company and depends on the, the phase a company might be in. If you are a very new startup, then I think product managers will be doing literally everything from project management to marketing to delivery and sometimes even coding if they are technical enough right so that that kind of evolves from role to role and company to company and product to product as well uh, but the fundamentals remain the same uh, i'll give you an example so oftentimes i've heard from people saying um, agile like when we talk about agile they talk about jira jira is a tool or trello so they confuse the two. And because these tools already come up with some sort of frameworks or some sort of templates that teams can basically take, and then they don't need to understand the fundamentals and they can simply start working in a Kanban way or in a Scrum way or in a Scrumban way and so on. But Agile is a mindset, Agile is a process, Agile is a framework that allows you to basically create your own setup that as you please. So for me, what product management has evolved into is that focus on the fundamentals, uh, focus on the basics, empower teams, empower, create knowledge, and then make sure there is transparency in the company and in the among your stakeholders. And most importantly, and it's been used as a buzzword as well, understand your customer. So who is your customer? Uh, what exactly are they 
trying to do? What exactly is the objective? Uh, and don't look at the, the bottom line as an objective. Yes, we want to make money, but that's not really the goal. Understand the why of the, of the product. Once you understand the why, why do you want to build this? Why should anybody use it? Then the what and the how can come afterwards as well. So this, this why piece is fundamental to any kind of product management. And this is like you drew a very nice, interesting comparison between the CEO and a, and a product manager. It's essentially, I mean, there is a very fine line between the two. The CEO is looking at a product picture where there is a vision and the vision has to be sort of infinite. Like the vision should be something that you cannot really achieve because then you have something to work towards all the time. Uh, while, um, and the difference between product manager and project manager would be that project has a, has a certain objective, like a very fixed objective and a very fixed timeline. While a product is, if you build it correctly, then it just shouldn't have a, like an, like a sort of like an end date. It will always continuously keep evolving and then it will turn into something all different altogether. And now I didn't get into philosophy and talk about ship of Theseus, but I'll start with that. <laughs> no, I think I think covering the fundamentals is already really good. Um, I mean, this is I, I actually read a similar thing um, recently around just understanding your customer and how fundamental that is. Um, and it, it just it really just boils down to like talk to them, just talk yeah. to them, and that's yeah. what you need to do. Um, but you know, people always overcomplicate it, but yeah, thanks for sharing that. Like in your, is... just to maybe summarize the other fundamentals you mentioned. So it's like empower your team, empower knowledge, empower transparency, know your customers. Um, so, I mean, on a practical level, it would be, it would be great to hear from, you know, head of product at Solaris, how do you practice each of these, I mean, you already mentioned the the know your customer, understand your customer bits, but maybe for the other three, mm-hmm. um, how do you actually practice it on a day to day? And like, do you think your team has this? I, I would like to believe so. <laughs> so, um, so I work with other product managers as well. Like, if I'm working on a topic, um, then I do sessions um, on a periodic basis. Uh, so I would happily explain to. S- people like even multiple times if they do not understand it, because it's, it's understandable that not everybody understands the full picture of a product that they are not necessarily working exclusively on. Because if you, let's say I work in a bank, right? So in banking world, there is a compliance function. There is a regulatory function. There is an accounting function. They work on the overall, they understand accounting, but they don't understand individual products, right? So if I explain something to them in one session, they might understand it in the moment, but they will forget about it a week later if they don't, if they're not working on it actively, right? So then I would have to go back to the table with them expl- and explicitly explain like how an accounting behind the credit cards would, might work, right? And then they would ask me pointed questions and then we will figure it out. So this is how we create empowerment. So first things first, we do a session where you explain things in person. Uh, when I say in person, more like a, in, a, in a sort of like a session where you prepare like a, create like a, framework with a high level picture. And I would do the same thing with the teams as well. And then you start going into details depending on what exactly the audience want to understand. So when I'm presenting in front of a broad audience, which I did for a few products, then I would focus it on a more generic approach. But when I'm talking about details, then I would first make sure that the documentation is complete. So what is the steps? Each step is explained in as much detail as possible. And then when you're talking to the team, then they also need, they might need to understand the technical detail. But as a product manager, it's not always my responsibility to come up with technical details. My job is to explain what functionalities 
uh, we are looking at. And the technical detail, I leave it to technical experts. If they ask me how if they should be built, I can tell them, but that's not really something my place to tell them what to do, right? Because mm -hmm. that's, uh, even if I have technical understanding, that is, again, I would leave it to technical experts. I can give them suggestions, but my goal would be that the picture should be complete and they understand uh, on, a, on a functionality level why we are doing something. Uh, so if I'm building a specific feature, then I would try to explain to them over and over. And I would also make sure that if I'm writing tickets, which I sometimes do, uh, then even on the tickets, I would explain the background of a, of a story, of a ticket, and then also the acceptance criteria, what exactly am I looking at the functionalities? And I will remind them of certain things to keep in mind because there might be, like this feature might be connected to another feature that the team may not be aware of at the mm -hmm. moment. So I would paint the whole picture for them. So then it basically creates an image in their head how the end product should look like. Uh, so this is how you create empowerment. And then the idea is that now I'll be on vacation for next two weeks, so I don't want to become a blocker. So then there is, I hope, sufficient knowledge in the team that if anybody outside of the team wants some information, they can simply go to the team and the, everyone understands what the answer of that question would be. So right. it's essentially making sure that the team understands by talking to them directly, uh, being available. Uh, it's super important. So whenever somebody reaches out to you, make sure you respond back. If you cannot respond back, then tell them I'm busy but I'll come back to you in a day or two. Uh, have create documentation, make sure that it's complete. Uh, I know documentation is a big pain point in most of the companies. Uh, and also like if, you, if you're using Confluence or if you're using some other tool, it's al almost always, it's like a, it's a graveyard. It's, yeah. it's sometimes super hard to find uh, the information, but it helps to at least have it prepared somewhere. The tools can always be optimized, but at least the documentation is somewhere where if somebody were to look for it, then they can always find it if they search it properly. Or if they if they want to find it, they can always reach out to the experts who know where yeah. this might be. But the documentation always has to be complete and always has to be up to date as well, which is again another struggle that a lot of companies uh, struggle with, and there is no easy way out of that one. It's it's funny because what you say is all textbook stuff, right? But yeah, but it's, it's, it's true. This is, it's um, also in in like practical terms. This is basically what helps. Uh, what yeah. definitely does help in my case, uh, in my experience, uh, are creating diagrams. So essentially just sort of like flow diagram or like a swim lanes or business processes diagrams and so on. Uh, and for a lot of stakeholders, a visualization is much better compared to written down text. So yeah. how do you compress, like basically condense, condense the information? Yeah, we, um, we have a similar thing actually like basically whenever I send any sort of plans or anything like that, the, the goal is to keep it down to one page. Um, and then if I can't fit it into one page, I will actually just record a video or do some sort of visualization instead because anything more people don't read it. Yeah. And if people don't read it, then you've kind of failed to deliver a yeah. useful plan, <laughs> even though it might have all the information there, but, um, yeah. You could think of it as the same way as you're building product, right? So you're communicating with an audience. If you don't understand your audience, then you cannot come up with a um, yeah. appropriate product. In this case, the appropriate product is like one pager. Yeah, exactly. Like I think I think planning and communicating plans is the same as onboarding new users, right? Like yeah. everyone knows if you throw a pop-up with lots of text, no one's going to read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So um, I do have one question, which is maybe a bit personal one, but would definitely be applicable for any listeners right now who are, you know, in a small startup, for example. 
you mentioned, you know, being product owners, a product architect, and now head of products. And I'm right now the sole PM CPO at Bird. At what point do you sort of like, what's the, what's the signals that kind of make you realize you need to split up product management and actually have hierarchy in product management? Because product management is always one of those one of those areas which I have always often thought of as being a bit harder to split up because you're you're kind of dividing up these managers who all seem to be in charge of things. So like, yeah, so I guess it's, there's two questions rolled into one. It's like, how do you know when you need to split up like, mm-hmm. and create hierarchy within product management? And how do you actually create these, these kind of splits? Um, so at the moment, I... Um, I've seen it happen. Let's put it this way. Uh, I've been part of this, but I've never done it actively or explicitly, right? So, um, in my experience, the the when part comes when it simply becomes too much to handle, right? When you become a blocker for the rest of the organization, or towards the, the other stakeholders, where there is always a dependency that oh, yeah, if this person is not available, um, but so that's that's always a, a signal that yes you need help you either need some some it doesn't have to be a, another product manager who needs to help you it can also be support from other things like for example if you're doing a lot of other tasks that are not supposedly product management like you're doing project management you're also dealing with doing sales free sales and so on those things can be carved out in supporting roles and so on uh, when it comes to product management it's essentially about if you are a product manager in your company and you're managing a team who is also building digital products, then do you need to expand the team or not also? What is the amount of work that you have to do? What are your future plans as well? Like you also have to look at the bigger picture. If the company is in growth stage, then what is the plan? What is the vision? Where do you want to go? And then what additional products do you want to build? Do you have the expertise in those? If not, then do you have time to build that expertise or not? Uh, because if you, if you don't have all of these, then you need to find the right person who might be able to take over those tasks and then you feel a bit more relaxed as well. Also, please don't kill yourself over a job. It's just a job, right? <laughs> so that's very important. I always tell this to the new new product people or anyone who works in a company, anyone who is starting a career, anyone who even has been working for years. If you do your job in three hours, the rest of the time is yours, right? Most people do not get paid for the time that they spend in the company, they get paid for their skills. If you get your shit done in record time, then and you can use your the rest of the time however you want. If you if it takes you more than the stipulated time that is in your contract, then please ask for help. If it takes you like 10 hours, 20 hours, unless you want to work that way, that's your prerogative. That's totally up to you. But if it takes you more and then you're stressed about it and you're burned out about it, then please ask for help. And I think people understand that we live in a world where you know asking for help is not really a taboo anymore. So it, it should lead to a like sort of like a I hate to use the word work-life balance but you need to have a balance in your life, generally speaking, about everything. So when it comes to splitting the, the role into multiple, like in a, creating a hierarchy of sorts, um, it's essentially about like, you know, the workload, the, the overall vision, the future of the company, all of these things play a part. Nice. It's, so, it's so interesting to, to hear like from, uh, because I come from a background in architecture as in buildings in architecture, mm-hmm. and uh, we have this culture of overwork and overtime mm-hmm. and everybody's supposed to do overtime. And I was always from the, uh, I always held the belief that if someone is doing overtime, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with 
how they are being managed. They are either giving given too much task or they take too much to do. So there is something wrong. This needs to be addressed. You should never ever do it over time. But in our in in that in that uh, culture was so ingrained that sometimes uh, when I was a, when I was a team manager, I had to actually drag people out of the office. Say, hey, stop working. Let's go home now. And and I had to leave earlier so that they would see the example and say, okay, oh, okay, so probably I can go home earlier. And I think that's such an essential uh, teaching yeah. that you give to say, hey, look, if you are doing overtime, there is something wrong. It's not supposed to be like that. That's essential. This and, is also you empower teams uh, yeah. in a way. If you, if you create an environment in the company that everyone is always stressed, everyone is always, I don't know, running behind deadlines, everyone is always like, there is always the next thing, like there is no break, right? So it's, it doesn't really help like telling people go on vacation and come back and then be stressed again. Right. Yeah, so then people trains, will be burned yeah. out, it will go away. Yeah. This is how you can empower people by telling them it's, I mean, it, yes, it's, it's also okay that we don't deliver things on time, right? It's not, not when it's like, of course, promised, then we should uh, improve our, let's say sales pipeline, like the contract negotiations that we do. Let's be realistic. Let's not be overly optimistic just because somebody wants to go to market in three months. It's, yeah, I don't know. Like in some cases, it might make sense if it's a like okay, creating a vaccine for the world because during a pandemic, sure, makes sense to push people and then get shit done. But doesn't make sense to push people on chasing revenues and and I don't know, pro over promising things at the expense of the health of your employees. That has never really made any sense to me. Definitely, I think the culture has to come from the top because there's yeah. it, nothing is ever so urgent, and the culture has to dictate that if we ever have to do overtime or go crazy, et cetera, that's an exception. And then everybody gets on board and say, okay, let's do it because really, we really need to. It's yeah. once, in a, once in, a, in a while that this happens, but it's not the rule. I mean, think about it in the history of project management, how many projects do you think have been delivered on time? <laughs> and I would guarantee it's not more than 10%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Solara sounds like it has an awesome culture, like just from what you're describing or maybe, yeah, but like, then, as you put it, like, you know, having this culture where you you do kind of think about the health of the team. And I think we, we have a similar thing at Bird, right? 100%. So one of the one of the things that I've always had a bit as a like as a conflict as a, as a PM is when you're sort of wedged between like the, the business objectives, which are very often like go quickly, like get this <laughs> done, deliver it, but also maintaining the happiness and the cadence of the team is the way I like to describe it. And just now you kind of like, you know, a lot of these deadlines are artificial. It's like so true. Like <laughs> someone created it and said, let's release it in three weeks and just decided that. That doesn't mean the, the feature takes <laughs> can be done in three weeks, but to achieve the three weeks, it means someone has to put in the extra hours or, or burn a midnight order to make that happen. So how do you how do you juggle this? Because, you know, you can you can look at it in the opposite extreme way and say, oh, we've made such a comfortable, relaxed environment that actually people are working at like half the half the pace that we can actually achieve. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the 100 percent pace is actually still comfortable. But it's just that we have such a laid back atmosphere that people are like, eh. Yeah, I'll just I'll just do like four hours. Chill. I think uh, yeah. again, like it's it's about so for me, like it's not about the hours that you put in. It's about the uh, how how accountable do you feel about your work, right? So if you feel accountable for your work, you will keep it complete. 
and you know what your workload is as a as a general like a, as a general rule or i would hope that everybody understands what their role is right unless you're working in a uh, in a very um algorithmic way so to speak or more like if you're working on a production line where you have to have certain output right then you are doing monotonous tasks moving things left to right then you know okay on each day like in eight hours one person can do 200 boxes of work and so on and those you can compute but in a complex world when you're building digital products this is not always the case it's more about like yes you have overall timelines and we also struggle with that don't get me wrong like while we are trying to build a culture where people are uh, more relaxed and then they they have this balance in their lives it it's inevitable that it happens in a startup that timelines are pushed uh, and then the stress comes from top as well uh, it comes from investors as well right because a lot of these things are sort of like old school this whole culture of nine to five was designed in early 1930s 40s during industrial era and that's been going on since then as well right so all of this comes from that vcs want to see growth now it, it was hyper growth until last year now it's profitability so what might be the next thing who knows right so all of these things play a part so while we are trying to build this culture in the company where everyone seems feels relaxed then they feel accountable for their work and then it's not about the hours anymore right if you feel accountable for this then you also feel sort of like okay it's actually my job and then i should be able to do this and this is why i say if you cannot do this job in a certain period of time and you feel stressed then please ask for help and if the company doesn't have the resources to help you then they can there is a way to communicate this as well right so you can always say that okay we need to do this so let's please do this get this over with and then afterwards we can figure out how to compensate your time or how to compensate your energy in a in a certain way so that's that's the culture that we want to build in the company uh, and that's where the leads like how they how they personally function as well and going back to daniel's example where in architectural world everyone was overworked but you set an example of let's say not do this right and because that also plays a big role because that's a, there is a subconscious bias in how we perceive things how others are working if we see everyone being stressed around us then we'll be like okay yeah, maybe i'm doing something wrong maybe i need to work a bit extra as well right so then because and if you establish a culture in the company that people do not get promoted unless they are killing themselves over a job which happens in legal industry or in other like compliance industry and um, many other um, use cases as well that's not a sustainable culture in my opinion those companies might be profitable but that's not they don't value the the human capital in that way and and i think it's interesting what you mentioned Jackie because in our, in our company we do have kind of like a more relaxed <laughs> atmosphere uh, but at the same time i do feel that uh, that we move things uh, in in the right pace and in, in a really good pace that actually delivers quality with speed at the same time and i think that the, the, the key for that is 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 to put together everything that we need is talking about is when 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 you are an employee in a company and you have to do some work but you do have this sense of empowerment or a sense of ownership on your work and you feel that your work is important and there's clarity you know you know what is happening there's transparency you know why you're doing what you're doing i think all of that makes us want to do the work and makes us want to move the the, the product forward and that's i think the key and and, and teams where people actually slack off I, I also think it's much more about how the culture of the company is or how the management is actually dealing with uh, with the work than actually the person itself, because it's very easy for people to slack off if there's no one watching on their shoulder. But once yeah. you have this mm-hmm. sense, like some days, some days, like I'm like, oh, I want to I want to finish this feature. And I'm like, let's do it. I want to like really get it for it. So it really is because you have you get you get people into the mission and what the company is about. And that's super important. I mean, like lead also has a massive play. In this. Yeah. 
it's if you do not get the right level of mentoring the right level of coaching uh, it's not about looking over your shoulder like i i would never do that to anyone who reports to me or like i would not expect my boss to also look over my shoulder and say like oh what are you doing today or what have you done in last month or so right it's more about having a constant communication with with the people uh and then also being clear about what is the expectation and also have a growth plan for them so then they also have something to look forward to so how do you get to the next level right that's also like a lot of a big thing in a lot of companies where they struggle with how to grow people right and sometimes there are like there is no clear growth path because you might have reached a certain point where there is nothing right and that's also okay like maybe you can move horizontally instead of vertically you can change different roles you can try something new it again it, it's a two way street like so one comes from the lead where they need to carve out a growth plan for the person and not just in a professional setting but also i believe in personal setting if you are somebody's mentor then you can mentor them in a much broader way but also the personal like individuals like you know needs like okay what exactly do you want to do do you know if you don't know then let's try to figure it out yeah the the growth plan thing is is actually a tricky one especially like a bird it's one i haven't really cracked yet and the reason for that is like when you have a startup the way we kind of approach hiring and building the team is basically hiring lots of experienced people so like daniel yeah. is super experienced like our other engineers are very experienced um because we don't really have the luxury of, of junior people and training them. And, yep. you know, we need to maximize the resources of um, every individual. And, but where it gets challenging then is like, how do you, what's the growth plan when I guess the, what's the saying, like too many chiefs, not enough Indians. So when everyone <laughs> is, so when everyone is already like quite senior and sort of gunning for mm -hmm. the same roles, like how, how do you balance this? Um, I mean, if you have any ideas, let me know. I haven't cracked it yet because um, the one of the companies I've been in exactly had that issue actually, and it just it just didn't end very well because it meant people leaving because they just felt like, oh, whoever's taken this spot means there's no opportunity for others. So, to me, like oh, the way I see this is that in the world that we live in, titles matter, right? So a lot of people chase after the titles. So you want to go from in like I don't know in consulting world it's like associate junior associate senior associate partner whatnot and so on right so those titles have certain meaning uh in reality i think it all comes down to comes down to communication like how transparent are you about your own objectives what is it that you want to do what is the growth plan that you see for yourself in the company so if you're hiring senior people let's say coming into birdcast so you're a startup there is a reason why they're joining the company Right, because they they admire the culture, they like the product that you're building, they like the vision, and so on, right? And then you can talk with them and explain to them where do you want to go. So once they understand the vision, they can also see where they might fit in. If they don't see that they would fit in there, then you can tell them like, okay, you could do these things, whatever are the possibilities, because it might not be that always vertical growth. Let's say you hire a product manager, it could be a senior, it could be a head of product, it could be a CPO, and so on, right? But there is a limit to that. There is a ceiling to that. What happens when that person reaches that? If you want to maintain someone sticking in the company where people are progressing quite fast these days in like three, four, five years, and also there is competition where they're always ready to poach your good employees and then losing people because of a title has never really made sense to me. Money is a different topic because money can be a constraint for the companies because if you don't have money to pay, then that's sometimes that also really doesn't make sense because you lose so much knowledge, if especially if you have to replace the person with someone new. Uh, so 
to me, it's always about transparency and communication. If you communicate this to the employees, to people like, okay, I don't have a clear growth plan, but I would like your help. You tell me what is it that you want to do. And then we can together figure out like, you know, how you can get there or how we can put you there in that position, because it's not just about what you want from the employee, but also what they want to do in the first place. Nice. I've just announced it in this podcast anyway, so <laughs> yeah. they, they have it. <laughs> um, I want to go back a little bit to the, the uh, you, you talked that, that you're talking to your colleague and, and you asked what you mm -hmm. want to do next. And I said, maybe teach, right? Teach the, the because there's so many uh, times that I have to explain fundamentals, etc. And teaching is something that would, uh, is that kind of an example of just uh, of what you said that you're kind of trying to move horizontally because somehow you're ahead of product? Where else can you go uh, on top of that? Or it's basically just an idea that you want to do on the side? Or what is? Uh... No, but when I say horizontally, it's more like changing the domains altogether. Like so, instead of like, oh, product management, you could do sales, you could do marketing, you could try out something new, right? So because once you understand, once you have certain experience, I think you can pick up certain things very quickly. Like if I go to pre-sales or if I go to um, sales or if i go to like project management those are the things i think i would be able to pick up rather easily not might not be able to do as well as I, other people do it might take me some time but you have to start somewhere right but that would be something new if i find it exciting i would happily try that so same way like when i say teaching that's just something that has sort of been a dream like since i was young i was like i wanted to join politics and i wanted to uh like basically teach uh kids and elderly like basic, just basic stuff, like, you know, basic mathematics, algebra, human rights, and so on, right? So, but in addition to those things, if you also teach them certain skills that they can apply in their day-to-day -day life and also like while working for a company, I think that can also help. So that was just like a hypothetical discussion with, uh, with, a, with a colleague in terms of like, you know, what might be the case, like if I ever leave and if I ever, you know, decide to do something else yeah. altogether, become a helmet or something. So Lara's CEO, if you're listening to this, Fanit's not switching. <laughs> not anytime soon. But, uh, if, if, but once you decide, okay, I want to teach you, it, it, it yeah. comes, for, of course, from a whole career that, okay, you gather so much baggage and so much learning, mm -hmm. so many things that you, are, you reach a point that you say, okay, now I can actually pass this forward. And I was thinking about like, what kind of, if you can get some, I don't know, some interesting examples of stuff that you, um, that either you used to do different and you end up dropping because you realized it didn't work or because, or things that you picked mm -hmm. up with time or things that you kind of uh, change the way that you do a specific thing, like really mm -hmm. kind of more example specific. Do you have any interesting? So, <laughs> so the problem with teaching is also like, if it's not, um, if it's something like, let's say life teaching or life experiences, you can't really teach them so much you can basically explain your experiences to people but that's like how do you uh, how do you learn generally like do you learn from experiences or do you learn from reading about things or do you learn from listening and so on right so some people might understand what i'm talking about but for me for example i learn from experiences i learn everything so if you tell me something if you try to teach me something i would understand it from a theoretical point of view but in order to actually believe it i would need to experience it so that's how so that's the problem with teaching uh, when it comes to examples i used to for example growing up in india i grew up in a chaotic world. Uh, so I actually like chaos, uh, but I can, because I can, what excites me is like finding the order in chaos and also creating a structure out of it uh, in a certain way. Um, but that also meant that I would also get agitated and angry quite quickly growing up. So that's, that's changed drastically and dramatically now. So now I don't get angry. I don't get <laughs> pissed if somebody would yell at me, I would be like, 
please tell me more <laughs> thank you so it's uh, it's usually just like trying to stay calm uh trying to like look at the bigger picture because this is momentary this will pass uh, also taking a step back like learning how to when to shut up uh, also like becoming an active listener there was a uh, there was there is an anecdote so in my previous company at fedor i was on a call with a uh, with a scrum master from this company that we were outsourcing the developers from and we had like some some talks about setting up a new team and i was trying to explain what i would like in the team as a as a product owner and so on and then i was talking a lot and i was cutting him off quite often right and then at some point he said that vinit this is a dialogue not a monologue and i was like oh shit <laughs> right so until then like nobody had called me out on this explicitly so now i try to listen like what other people have to say let them finish their thoughts and then also like then go back and then respond and not react but respond actually respond so there is a difference between reaction and response uh, responding also paying attention to your own biases like uh thinking about like you know the issues around diversity and other things like for example when there is a meeting and it's full of men and there is one or two women in there uh, women do women get get a chance to actually speak out or not right so paying attention to those kind of things as well so that has changed drastically like being aware of all of these uh social issues as well and then how to change your own behavior because that also then can influence other people around you got it yeah. i would be curious actually to to hear from you jackie like uh, things that you learned throughout these years that you kind of uh used to do different and now you do one way or the other can be more kind of focused on on uh how you manage the company or stuff like that is there anything any interesting what what Fanny was saying about um when someone called you out it's a it's a dialogue not a monologue i was like yes that applies to me too <laughs> because like i i also have a tendency to speak a lot um and like actually one of the criticisms i've had in a past company was someone saying like you know jaggy you've got a lot of good ideas and like you come up with your ideas very quickly or you you get to the solution very quickly which and but you lack the patience to wait for everyone else to reach that point too so you tend to basically like blurt it out and just like you just want to get to the point but this creates problems because it just seems like you're sort of dictating the solutions even though it's the right solution and everyone would arrive at this anyway you just like just slow down and give it another 15 minutes then everyone else would like kind of catch up to it and they'll feel like it's part of this it's like they own part of that solution as well um that's something i try to practice but it's is tricky like i think sometimes i i still move a bit too quickly and have a tendency to just keep talking and rambling uh so <laughs> like i mean in the intro calls we have for like these podcasts like recently i started saying to to daniel okay you this one like you start the intro like you you pick it up because if i don't if i don't like formalize this i'm just going to jump in <laughs> and go and do it and there's, there's been some times where i went in and hijacked it as well so yeah this is something that i'm i'm actively trying to manage but it's like it's it's really hard cuz like once you get into it 
it's really easy to forget. I do a lot of the user interviews, right? So um, user user testing and stuff. So I have that. I do have that mode, but maybe I should just make that mode my my default. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the I would say though, back to your question, though, Daniel, probably one of the biggest things I learned from the experience of doing this startup is just like multitasking, and like that has been such an incredibly like valuable skill that like I think everyone can kind of multitask to some degree, but like you know when you're when you're specialized in one area like. I don't know, doing development or, or UX design, you're multitasking within the same domain. Whereas like nowadays, my day-to-day would be um, one second, there's a marketing topic I need to jump into. Then I need to quickly whip up an image for something. Then I'm like looking at strategy. <laughs> then I'm going into linear and checking a backlog. And then and then I get this question about a specific tickets, like the stuff you're working on in pricing, and I need to switch gears and just the ability to like, and then my son suddenly tugs on me because I'm working from home. And then I need to like, help him with this random question about something, some monster or something. <laughs> and so just the ability to like, switch from like deep to high level. Um, but also just like, which context really quickly is um, being super valuable. I think in the past, whenever you context switch, there's like that cost. And somehow I've managed to like reduce that cost just by having to switch so often. Um, so that, that kind of makes you a lot more productive, I guess. We always had the notion that multitasking is a myth. And if it were actually possible, then I think women are definitely better than men at it. Uh, but I think it's, so personally, Speaking, I think it's more about the personality. Uh, so I don't know. So I learned a lot about myself through personality types, Myers-Briggs theories, other types, and so on. So I noticed that people who are a certain type, they are more flexible and they're more adaptable. So what you're describing is more about, for me, is about adaptability and not freaking out like when something is not finished and then something else pops in. And then you can basically go back to the 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 topic and then without losing too much of your attention and so on so you wouldn't necessarily agree that this is multitasking but again like uh, as long as it works i mean it's it's true actually when you put it that way too and um it it kind of relates also to one of the things you said earlier it's it's really i've also learned to just be a lot more chill about everything um, because there's so many things and everything's like important to someone, right? So now I'm kind of like having to work with multiple stakeholders and they all have their own projects. And for them, it is the most important thing. But just kind of acknowledging that, well, I can't do all of these things at once and I'm going to have to like just, you know, tackle things one at a time and try and get through this at, to the best of my abilities and just sort of being at peace with that, really. Yeah. I think in, I think in the beginning it is hard because it's hard to be at peace with the fact that you're you kind of feel like you're failing people or you're you're sort of like not living up to people's standards because you're not doing something for them right away um and you know for for people like us where maybe we're used to sort of always getting our job done and getting praised whatever it's it's suddenly like a, a 180 flip right when you're like yeah. I'm sorry I, I can't do this right now or here's the best I can do within the time frame because I need to jump on something else it's probably not the best work but like it's enough kind of 
yeah but it also like, comes down to like knowing when you have too much then also like you asked about when to know when to basically split it and ask for help so if yeah. it does become too much and it does become that other people are waiting on you for quite such a long time before they get answers that's when you know okay now you need someone to support in whichever role and capacity on that point like one thing i was thinking about actually throughout this conversation and when we were asked i think what was interesting for me was we were asking you a lot of questions about product management but i realized that all your answers are people oriented and that's yeah. that's like that's really cool it's like it's really nice because um yeah like you know we talked you talked about the fundamentals of pm and i think in most in many conversations i would have when it comes to product managers yeah it might be talking a bit more about like how you're how you're sort of scoping out features and like how you're how you're managing like the the process or whatever and you're kind of more like you know it's more about empowerment and and transparency like was this always the case in terms of your your product management style or has it sort of like you cuz you mentioned some of the stories of of how you arrived in your interests but i wonder if there was like a more if there was a different kind of fini at one point in time and there was some <laughs> like inflection points that made you become much more of this humanized kind of product manager so not one single point it's like a constant evolution so that's also like my like kind of like my um let's say core value uh, that i always want to improve uh, if there is no personal growth for me then it it becomes a bit of a like a stale thing to do so i try to evolve like you know with time and so on uh but yes you're right so originally i was also one of those people who would basically pick up jira and then just focus on the process and how to do product management right so i have the features i need to get this from the client I need to divide, break them down into tickets and give it to the team explain to them test it end to end and so on right so all of that so there were a lot of aha moments in my life during product management doing product management where i was like oh yeah shit okay like for instance um in my previous job um we were building a like we were basically creating a new bank from scratch uh, and then migrating uh from mainframe to the let's say state of the art api based platform and that also included front end now it's included front end i was focusing on building the back end so that included apis and so on and then we were like okay yeah we can also build a front end but then it came the question was that when should we start including uh the ux designer or product designer into the picture and initially my impression was that let's build the back end and then front end is just about colors and uh and logos right but then exactly so then i came to the realization that oh no shit actually user experience can basically fuck up your entire back end if you don't do it correctly so you need to include them as early as possible explain to them what exactly do you want to do so they can give you a guidance maybe run ab testing and what not uh as well if you already have a product ready so all of these things are learned right so first focus was always on like okay how do you actually build products do you have the the fundamentals so once you have understand the fundamentals then it comes to about okay now you understand the fundamentals so you can even do these things in your sleep right so if you you have gone through the same phase right so you probably have a lot of experience you started with this company now you're saying that you can pick up the task in pricing in marketing in a bunch of other things at the same time without batting an eye that comes with like understanding of fundamentals you know that okay these are the things that you can also do if you want to focus on these you can also do get down to detail actually get it done but that doesn't really interest you as much as it used to 
Right? So you basically, so that's the evolution part. Like, so I did enjoy those those times when I was struggling and I was basically, it was kind of like swing, sink or swim. So I swam and then you came out of it. And now it's more about like, okay, these are the things that come naturally to you. So then I don't need to talk about them out, out loud, like, okay, how to do product management? Like, okay, because the process is the same. I understand the problem, like, okay, this is what we want to do. So this is the target picture. This is the, like the starting picture. Okay, I don't understand how to do accounting. I don't understand what is the, what are the scheme requirements for credit cards? I don't understand uh, what should be the scoring methods. I don't understand what are the third parties involved in there, right? So you break them down in your head, you break them down on paper, you figure it out like, okay, one by one. Um, so once you understand the, once you start understanding a bit of the picture, then you, everything starts clicking. Okay, how should the billing process be connected to the entire accounting scheme? How should, what happens if the customer doesn't pay? What happens if the customer overpays? Can there be positive amount and so on, right? So all of these things come in the picture, but when you start thinking only in terms of functionalities, in terms of scenarios, keeping the user into mind as well. Uh, and then the technicalities or the actual pieces that you need to build, then that comes from your understanding of the platform. If you don't understand the platform, then you have to understand the platform, right? So because I've been working in Solaris for four years, I have a fairly good understanding of how all the systems work. And if I don't know how the system work, I know who to reach out to, uh, who can explain to me how the systems work. And again, okay. it always comes down to fundamentals. Once you understand the basics, let's say if we are working in a bank, once you understand the basic of banking, and that's why like all the new people who come join the banking world, I would always recommend to understand uh, code banking systems. Code banking system is essentially money in, money out, right? But there is there is a lot of things that happen behind the scenes, right? People don't understand the low level processes of fraud management, of like file exchange and so on. Like you don't need to go down to the level of protocols, that's besides the point, uh, but at least understand on a process level, what are the things had that happened and why they happen in a certain way like why is buffin so involved in like making sure that banks are following the proper due diligence practices they are not onboarding like any fraudsters like you know fraud prevention mechanisms and so on so once you understand those processes on a fundamental level you can basically incorporate them when you're building a product uh, as well because you will always have those those ideas in mind that okay shit, i need to take care of this as well because this could happen otherwise hmm. So the, the people-oriented approach, that's, that's always been part of my personality, but now the focus is more on that because it's more about, yes, the, like, I find that more valuable. And I find that once you trust people, once you build this trust in the teams, things will get delivered, right? Because these, the technical details, they, they are always there uh, and they can always be explained in a calm and natural way. Um, okay, yeah, well, so, so the one that I just wanted, it, it's reeling back a bit to a previous mm -hmm. question, but I, I just wanted to dig into it a bit just for my own, mm -hmm. my own benefit. This is like, I guess, practical tip time where I want to get something which I could bring back to bird. Cause you mentioned that you, like, you're also trying to build this quite relaxed, comfortable work culture at mm -hmm. Solaris, but then naturally there are conflicts when it comes to, you know, business objectives of trying to deliver things quickly. Um, I mean, it, it conflicts with the general like culture in tech, right? Of like move fast and break things. I think, I feel like personally, I feel like we, there's like a, a generational shift right now away from that sort of like mindset of um, what is it like eat ramen for two years and then caviar for life kind of mentality mm -hmm. um, towards like having, you know, 
more of a balance. But like you said, the some of these like nine to five practices are deep rooted and they're ingrained and it's really hard to get away from them. So I just want to understand then like, and you know, you mentioned you haven't perfected it yet, but what are the practical things that you're actually doing to try and align these two things? And maybe mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just explain what we're trying to do at the moment first. Like, so we don't, we don't do like um, a fixed sprint plan, for example, because we want us to get away from this notion of asking a dev, like, can you deliver this in two weeks? Because mm-hmm. generally the answer is like, I don't know. And, if they can't deliver in two weeks, it feels like they failed because you you check in on two weeks and it's like, well, there was this issue, this issue, I had to jump on that bug. And then it's like they failed to deliver. Um, and then also it creates this culture where if you tell them what can you finish in two weeks, they're going to go conservative and they're going to, they're more likely to pick some features which only take one. Mm-hmm. They do it in one and then like they could just chill for the for rest of the, the sprint because, you know, um, they've technically already completed their list. So we kind of have it, I guess, a bit more Kanban way, but we have mm-hmm. like a, a check-in every two weeks with a cycle. Um, but then what I feel is lacking, though, is it then lacks that kind of accountability of like having these these points to say, like, you know, let's, we no longer have this like, oh, this we expect it to be delivered by like mm-hmm. in this time frame, but... It's gone over. It's more like, oh, how's it going? Oh, it's still going? Okay, let mm-hmm. it continue. So it lacks that kind of urgency. And we found sometimes, ironically, sometimes we are doing something for the marketing team and then mm-hmm. they do have a deadline because they work in a different sort of um, cadence to us. And then when we have that deadline, suddenly the devs are like, you have to deliver this by this date because it's a launch date. And the surprising thing there is because we're so used to not having these like really fixed deadlines, the devs would then come back and say, that was quite refreshing. It was like nice to, it was nice to have that kind of like that sense of urgency and that pressure Mm -hmm. sometimes. So I feel like we kind of, and I have these conversations with our engineering team quite often. It's like, it's, yes, it's really comfortable. It's really like respectful of the time the process takes, but it can lack a bit of that sense of urgency Mm-hmm. And that that pressure, which a sprint would have, but the s- sprints have too much of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like you know, no one's ever satisfied. You always want a bit of everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like I just want to share like you know the process we're going mm-hmm. through and the concerns. But like I want to hear how you're handling this in Polaris. So okay, so on an organization level, it's a different topic because that's more about the culture building like you know uh, establishing let's say remote working policy policy work from anywhere and so on these things help right so um also because you trust people to get their shit done when we are talking about strictly about product management uh we uh often use a concept called value urgency mapping so again it all boils down to transparency so if you're not familiar with this value urgency mapping is basically inviting all the stakeholders let's say if i'm building a product or if I have a product, let's say I'm responsible for three, four different projects, and those four different projects have, I don't know, 15 different stakeholders. Plus, there are requirements from operations, requirements from legal, requirements from BaFin, regulatory, and whatnot, right? So how do you decide what you should focus on? So you bring all the stakeholders together, you create a sort of like a matrix of value and urgency, and you ask 
each stakeholder to define like what topic do they want to bring on the table. Let's say for the next quarter, if you're doing your planning, uh, depending on how long is your planning session and so on, we do it on a quarterly basis. And then you define how urgent it is and how valuable it is, right? It can be a little bit arbitrary because value is, again, for someone bringing a topic, it's like, oh, it's the most valuable thing. But overall speaking in the overall context of the company level, it's not always clear, right? So when you bring all of these people together, your key stakeholders, and then they all bring their topics, then you know how urgent it is in the context of the entire company. And then their, what is the overall value also in the context of the entire company? And then you can define this as a priority matrix, sort of. You define like, okay, this is the highest priority because this is the most valuable and it's the most, most urgent. Right? So that goes on the top of the list. So this is how you can actually build a Kanban board if you're working with Kanban. And then your developers know that, and, and the timelines, like it's, like when you say a deadline, I would always recommend this as a, like following a timeline because it often happens that it doesn't get delivered, right? So say like, please try your best. Again, it's about trusting people like to deliver their and like everything on time and then constantly reminding them that yes, this is actually the timeline that we are working against, right? If, if you're not able to deliver, please give me a head, like a heads up two, three, four weeks beforehand so then I can manage the stakeholders as well, right? So this is what I try to do personally I would explain something to the team. If we have a go live a month from now, I would say we have a go live from a month from now, right? So constant checking in, can we deliver it still or not? If not, then I would go back. It might be delayed. When do you know when that it's definitely delayed? Maybe a week before, right? And then you have a contingency plan and so on. So, but the, but the first thing is that creating this transparency for the entire company, what are the topics that you're working on in your product? And then basically executing them with the team and then also creating a feedback loop in case something gets delayed because of whatever reason, people get sick, people go on vacation, you know, planning gets fucked up, tools don't work. So things can happen. So it's just about like creating this transparency. And I think that's that way. I think everyone feels relaxed. Cool. Again, one of your fundamentals. Yeah. Perfect. Gosh, thanks. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Vinny. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. And I think, I think you've sort of given me a really like new way and nice way of framing product management and product <laughs> managers, right? I'm and glad. Yeah, I'm you glad really, you... I mean, you've really like kind of humanized it a lot for me. And um, I think like a lot of the things I, I hope I'm, I'm practicing too, but it's, it's like really nice to hear it kind of actually framed more directly in this way empowering so yeah just for for anyone listening just as a recap the fundamentals of product management in the words of finite empower your teams empower knowledge empower transparency and understand your customers and then the other tip don't use deadlines call it a timeline 